Well, good morning, church. Go ahead and turn to Colossians. And if you need a Bible, put your hand up in the air and a Bible will be handed to you. Colossians chapter 4 today in verses 2 through 18. And today's message is entitled Prayer, Evangelism, and Ministry. We are studying through the book of Colossians. Paul, he was stuck in Rome as a prisoner awaiting trial. Paul had never visited the church in Colossae, but he wrote this letter because he felt compelled to encourage them and to protect them from false teaching. In chapter 1, Paul prayed for the Colossians. He prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Then Paul began to explain that Jesus is God, battling the false teaching of the day that was claiming that Jesus was less than God. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is fully God, who became flesh, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven all in the flesh. In chapter 2, Paul debunked more false teaching of the day, the false teaching that said that Christians were not yet complete just in Christ. They had to do extra things. They needed secret knowledge, or they needed to follow the Jewish laws of circumcision or Sabbaths and diet. And so Paul declared in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, he said, you are complete in Christ. You don't need secret knowledge. You don't need to follow the ceremonial laws of Moses. You just need Jesus. So don't be deceived by the false teachers. Then last week, we read in chapter 3, where Paul told us to put to death our sinful desires and instead to put on love. Colossians 3.14 said, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You see, as Christians, we are saved by Christ, and since we are His, He commands us to walk in Christ. You walk in Christ by constantly saying yes to Jesus and saying no to your flesh. Now, as we come to this last chapter in Colossians, we pick up in Colossians chapter 4, in verses 2 through 6, we read about prayer and evangelism. And Paul says in verse 2, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Pause there. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come to verses like this, I'm really challenged by the strength of words that Paul is using here. You see, Paul does more than simply tell us to pray. He tells us to pray earnestly and vigilantly. Later on in verse 12, Paul speaks of Epaphras, who is always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. This man, Epaphras, was fighting for the Colossians. The Greek word there is agonizomai, where we get our word agonize. He was agonizing in prayer for his brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So church, do you continue earnestly in prayer? Do you agonize or fight in prayer? Are you vigilant in prayer? I confess, I've got a lot of room to grow. And so I want to take a moment here, and I want us to look at some pointers on prayer. Starting with the most basic point, we recognize that prayer is simply talking to God. If you want to take notes today, this is your first fill in the blank on the back of your bulletin. Prayer is simply talking to God. You can pray out loud or you can pray silently in your heart. God hears. He knows your prayers. You can pray in any position, whether you're standing or sitting or lying down. You can pray with your hands folded together like we teach the kids to do so they stop touching each other during prayer. Or you can pray with your arms outstretched towards heaven. You can pray with your eyes open or your eyes closed unless you're driving. Please keep your eyes open. While we do not pray to angels and we do not pray to people, we do pray to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's a guy named Guy King, and he wrote an excellent little book called Prayer Secrets, and he says this, Let us be clear that it cannot be wrong to pray to Jesus himself, for he is God. Neither can it be wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit, for he is God. But the Lord is here instructing us in what is to be the normal procedure. Prayer is usually to be thought of as being to the Father, by the Spirit, through the Son. You see, Jesus is the one who gives us access to God, access to the Father. It's his blood shed for us that opens the way for us to approach the one and only holy God. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us in what to pray. So again, it's appropriate to pray to God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit, but usually we pray to God the Father. Here in Colossians 4.2, Paul says that we should continue earnestly in prayer. This exact same verb, translated continue earnestly, is translated continuing steadfastly in Romans 12.12. This word literally means to give strict attention to prayer. And so your next fill in the blank, prayer should be prioritized. Prayer should be prioritized. The idea of continuing earnestly in prayer means that we don't just pray when we find time in our schedule, but we make time in our schedule. We plan for prayer. We sacrifice for prayer. In fact, we read about Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So Jesus, who was God in the flesh, he gives us this example of continuing earnestly in prayer, of scheduling time to pray. If Jesus made the effort to get away from distraction to pray, how much more do I need that? How much more do you need it? I think it's also worth pointing out that for perhaps 1,500 years, the average Christian had very limited access to the Bible. 
Today, we talk about doing devotions or spending time with the Lord. And I confess, it is sometimes easier for me to read my Bible than it is to pray. And here's why. At the very least, if I read my Bible, I can see a difference. I'm on a new page. As silly as that is, I can see a difference of things that are changing. I've read my Bible so I can move my bookmark. And sometimes with prayer, we don't see anything immediately changing. And that can be hard for me. Now, for much of church history, before the printing press, before the Bible's translation into the common languages, Christians had to depend more on memorizing Scripture than on reading Scripture. Therefore, I would imagine that for much of church history, spending time with God meant prayer more than it meant studying the Word. Now, my point is not one's more important than the other. My point is that they're both important. We need to read the Bible so we know who God is and what He wants us to do. But we also need to spend time in prayer so that we can commune with Him and talk with Him. It's an incredible blessing that we can own our own copy of the Bible today. We can read it in a language we actually know. It's amazing. But it's also incredibly amazing that we can access the Lord. We can talk to Him in prayer wherever we are. So Paul says we need to prioritize and schedule prayer. But Scripture also tells us that prayer should be without ceasing. Prayer should be without ceasing. So on one hand, at times, we give prayer our main focus and attention. On the other hand, the Bible says prayer should never be over. We never hang up the phone with God. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, where it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We have such a relationship with Jesus that it is never interrupted. He's always with us. We can have a continual communion with him through prayer. This verse in 1 Thessalonians also gives us our next fill-in-the-blank. Prayer is both an invitation and a command. We often wonder, what is God's will for me? Well, God's will is that you believe in Jesus. God's will is that you love him and love others. God's will is that you obey his commands. And it is God's will that you pray without ceasing. That is his desire for you and for me. So he commands us to pray. But more than just a command, God also invites us into his presence by prayer. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I think it can be easy for us to take this for granted. To forget the great chasm that separates us, sinful man, from God who is holy and perfect. We forget this great chasm of separation. 
The fact that we can even approach God is amazing, and it's only because of Jesus' blood spilled on the cross for you and for me that we can access Him. We are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. We can approach God in full confidence that He actually wants you there in His presence. Think about that. You might think, well, I don't think God wants me near because, once again, I fell into temptation. I've sinned. Well, if that's you, then you are forgetting His mercy and His grace. You see, you were never invited into God's presence because you were so well-behaved. That's not why He invited you. He invites you because He loves you. Therefore, if you weren't invited in the first place because of your behavior, you're not uninvited because of your behavior. We come to God based on His sacrifice on the cross, based on His blood spilled for us. We don't approach God because we are worthy. We approach God because He is worthy. And so when you pray, you are not barging into God's presence as an unwanted guest, as an interruption. But when you pray, you are invited, you are expected, and you are welcomed into God's presence. Which brings us to our next thought on prayer. Jesus said in John 15, 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Then in the same chapter, verse 16, Jesus says that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. You see, to pray in Jesus' name is not a magic phrase that forces God to give us what we ask for. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray according to His will. It means to pray in such a way that if Jesus Himself were in our shoes, in our position, then He would pray the same thing with the same heart. Therefore, prayer is not twisting God's arm. Prayer is not coercing God to accomplish your will. But on your note sheet, it says prayer accomplishes God's will, not necessarily our will. And His will is synonymous with His best. God's will is synonymous with His best. That's an incredible blessing. That God has a purpose and a plan, and that purpose and plan is His best for you and for me. You see, when I pray, I can pray in full confidence that God will do what is best. Even in those circumstances when I think I know what's best, I can rest assured that if God says no to what I'm saying, to my plan, it's because He has a better plan, a bigger purpose, and He is doing exceedingly more than I can ask or think. Now, we could go on and on with this topic of prayer, but there's just one last point I want to mention before we move on, and it's this. Prayer should be specific. Prayer should be specific. Look back at our passage in Colossians chapter 4 in your Bibles. Paul said again in verse 2, he said, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. 
Meanwhile, verse 3, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest or clear as I ought to speak. So Paul asks the Colossians to pray for him, for his ministry of sharing the gospel while he is in chains and in prison. Now, quick side note here, I think it's interesting that Paul doesn't say, pray that the doors of my prison cell would open, but instead he says, pray that the door for the gospel is opened. That's all Paul cared about. He wasn't concerned about his personal freedom. He was concerned about the gospel going forth and people learning about Jesus. Prayer should be specific because in prayer, we join into the work God wants to accomplish. As we prayed for that dear family, we are invited to partake in what God is doing around the world by praying. We get to be a part of His work, whether we're here or somewhere else. Prayer should also be specific because it deepens our relationship with God. When we talk to God about the details, We talk to the only one who can give the best solution. Lastly, prayer should be specific because the more specifically you pray, the easier it is to see God's answers and the more we have to be thankful about. This week, I've been personally challenged to continue earnestly in prayer. May we be a church that continues earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. If the Lord is speaking to you in this area as he has been to me all week long, then I encourage you, think now, maybe jot down in your notes, what are you going to change this week to be vigilant in prayer? What are you going to change in your schedule so that you cannot just say, okay, Lord, I know what you want me to do differently, but How are you going to do it? What's going to change? Give yourself frequent opportunities away from distraction to prepare your heart and prepare your mind to seek the Lord in prayer. Now, Paul continues his exhortations to the Colossian church in verse 5. Colossians 4, verse 5. And Paul says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Those who are outside refers to those outside of the faith. Paul tells the Colossians and us to walk in wisdom towards the non-Christians in your life. Someone once said, be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some people ever read. And so by God's grace, may we live in such a way that people get glimpses of Jesus In verses 5 and 6 here in Colossians 4, we have four ways to be the light. Jesus calls us, the church, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Well, here are four practical ways that you and I can be the light. And here's the first one, to walk in obedience. To walk in obedience. This is what Paul means by walking in wisdom. The book of Proverbs tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We need to obey. 
If you don't live your life seeking to obey God's word, then you're going to be a poor light to the world. By obeying Christ, by fleeing temptation, you will provide a testimony to your family and friends and your neighbors that they can see in you and through you. The next way to be the light is to look for opportunities. Look for opportunities. This is what Paul means by redeeming the time. Don't let an opportunity pass you up. Do you have a friend that is suffering? Offer to pray with them and bring them a meal. Invite a family member to church. Ask a coworker what they believe and why. We want to be ready so that when God gives us an opportunity, we are ready to share, we're ready to love, and we are ready to serve. Paul continues in verse 6, and he says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Here's your next fill in the blank. How to be the light. Be gracious and salty. Be gracious and salty. Looking at that first one, be gracious. When we are gracious, we're not surprised when non-Christians act like it. We don't let their sin keep us from having a relationship with them. We give them room to make mistakes, just like Jesus gives us room in forgiveness. When we are salty, we make sure that we share the truth of God's word. That's the idea there. To be salty means you've got to have the truth with it. We don't keep silent of the truth just because we don't want to have confrontation. It's the same idea we have in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, where Paul says, speaking the truth in love. If you only speak the truth and you have no love, well, people don't want to listen to you. You're not nice. You're not loving. I don't care what you have to say. If you only pour out love and grace but no truth, then you never point out their need for Jesus. And you're really not loving them. You're loving yourself because you're choosing what's comfortable or easy for you instead of what's necessary for them. We need to be both gracious and salty to be the light of the world. And lastly, you cannot be the light of the world unless you know why you believe. Know why you believe. Why did you choose to follow Jesus? What has he done in your heart and in your life? The answer to those two questions would be your personal testimony, but our knowledge can't stop there. We also need to have answers for other questions, like what evidence is there for God's existence? How can I know the Bible is trustworthy and true? How do we know that Jesus really rose from the dead? You might say, well, I don't need to know the answers to those questions to go to heaven. You're right. You can be saved without knowing the answers to those questions, but your neighbors can't. Your friends and your family, they might need answers to questions like this before they can put their faith in Jesus because they can't come to Christ based on your faith or based on my faith. 
they need to have somebody explain to them, why do you believe? Why should I believe? Because we don't have a blind faith, but a reasonable faith. Are you willing to study and to get answers so that you can help others know why they too should believe? Are you willing to talk with them about these issues? If you want answers to questions like these, then I highly recommend Charlie Campbell's website, alwaysbeready.com. It's at the bottom of your note sheet. It's a great, excellent resource that I highly recommend. So by walking in obedience, by looking for opportunities, by being gracious and salty, and by knowing why we believe, we can be a more effective light to the world. We can see more people come to know Jesus, and we can see God's kingdom grow. In verses 7 through 18, we read about Paul's co-laborers and friends. Paul says in verse 7, he says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So these two men, Tychicus and Onesimus, would hand deliver three letters and all three of them would end up in our Bibles as books in the New Testament. Tychicus carried Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the city of Ephesus, and he gave them an update on Paul's prison ministry. And then from there, Tychicus and Onesimus would continue on to Colossae with the remaining two letters in their possession. The first of these two letters is the book of Colossians, which we're reading right now. The second letter in their hand was a personal letter to a Colossian man named Philemon. And next week, we're going to study the short book of Philemon together, just one chapter in your Bibles. And for now, I'll just give you this preview. Onesimus was a Colossian runaway slave, and he left Colossae, and he finds Paul in Rome. Paul shares the gospel with him. And Onesimus becomes a believer, and now Paul sends him back to Colossae with this letter in his possession. And so we'll study that next week together. Paul continues in verse 10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. You may remember Mark from the book of Acts when he traveled with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But along this journey, Mark threw in the towel, and he quit early, and he abandoned Paul and Barnabas. And so when Paul and Barnabas were planning their second missionary journey a few years later, Barnabas wanted to take his cousin Mark along with them once again. And Paul said, nope, I don't want any quitters on my team. I'm not taking him. And so Paul and Barnabas split up. And each did their own second missionary journeys. Barnabas took Mark, Paul took Silas, and they went different ways. 
And yet now, years later after that, we find both Mark and Paul in fellowship in Rome. And Mark is listed here as one of the few Jewish background believers who is comforting Paul as he is in prison. By the way, this is the same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So, we've got this man, Aristarchus, and Mark, and this third person, verse 11, and Jesus, who was called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. In other words, these are the only Jewish background Christians that are with me. And Paul says, they have proved to be a comfort to me. Verse 12, Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Epaphras was a Colossian, and he had visited Paul in Rome. In fact, next week we'll read in Philemon verse 23, Paul calls Epaphras my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, who greets you. So we're not told why Epaphras was arrested, but he wasn't just with Paul in Rome, but he was with him in the jail cell. We don't know why he was arrested, but he was a prisoner with Paul there, the prisoner of Christ. And while he was there in chains with Paul, he told Paul about his home church, the Colossians, and about the false teaching that had been Uh, spreading there. And that is why Paul wrote this letter in the first place. Notice that Epaphras labored fervently in prayer for his fellow Colossians. And this is what he prayed for them in verse 12, that they might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. What a great way to pray for someone else, a great way to love them by praying for them fervently. Paul continues in verse 14, and he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. This is the same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. Luke had traveled with Paul for some of his journeys, and Luke is now with Paul in Rome. And it is from this verse that we learn Luke was a doctor. Along with Luke was a man named Demas. Demas is listed as a fellow worker with Paul during this time. But some years later, Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, and he says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. This is the last we hear about Demas here in 2 Timothy. We don't know if Demas ever repented. We don't know how he ended up towards the end of his life. But Demas's very brief story here gives us this reminder. Guard your hearts by continually pursuing Jesus. That's your next fill in the blank. Guard your heart by continually pursuing Jesus. It's been said before, it's not so important how you start, but how you finish. How true that is with the Lord. God's not looking for great starts that throw in the towel, that decide, you know what, I actually love this world more 
than Jesus. God's looking for those who will have a strong finish, who will continue to pursue him till their last breath. Are you living for Jesus right now? Great. Keep it up. Don't falter. Don't stop. Or you also may become distracted by the cares of this world. Be on guard or you may find that you are loving this present world instead of loving the Lord and the world that is to come. Paul continues in verse 15. He says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Laodicea was a neighboring city just nine miles west of the Colossians. And verse 16, Paul says, Now when this epistle or this letter is read among you, See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Isn't that interesting? So Paul says that the Laodiceans also have a letter, and he wants the Colossians to read it. We're not sure what letter this is. Some believe that the letter the Laodiceans had was a copy of the letter of the Ephesians that was being spread throughout modern-day Turkey back in that day. Or this might have been a totally separate letter that Paul wrote to the Laodiceans that we don't have that's been lost. Now, this doesn't mean, if that's the case, that our Bibles are incomplete because we don't have the letter to the Laodiceans. We are reminded that to the Corinthians, Paul wrote at least four letters, and only two of them are in our Bibles today. We know that God kept and preserved those books that he wanted to have in the Bible today. And those that are lost, we don't need. We have what we need to know the Lord in our scripture today. Next, Paul says in verse 17, he says, And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This command reveals a simple truth. God has given each of us a ministry, and it is possible to leave that ministry unfulfilled. It's possible for you and I to not be faithful in completing the work God has given us to do. So on your note sheet, your last fill in the blank is this, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. You see, God has saved you by grace through faith. You are complete in Christ. You are empowered by Him. So whatever ministry He has given you to do, take heed and do it. Don't neglect your God-given role. Paul ends with verse 18. Paul says, This salutation by my own hand, Paul Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Paul would normally recite these letters verbally, and he would have a secretary write it down for him. But it's towards the end of his letters that Paul would lean over, and with his own hand, he would take the pen, and he would write, Paul. And perhaps as he leans over to write his name and sign the bottom of this letter, the chains around his arms are clinking along the floor. And Paul adds, remember my chains. I wonder why. 
What specifically does Paul want us to think about when we remember his chains? Well, I believe Paul's chains represent his love for the Gentiles. You see, the only reason Paul was imprisoned these several years was because he was preaching the gospel to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, telling them they can not only just be saved, but they can be made as part of God's church, the bride of Christ. If Paul would simply have reserved this good news for the Jews, then much of his persecution would disappear. And so by saying, remember my chains, Paul reminds the Colossians that in this letter, he has not just poured out his wisdom and his knowledge, but Paul has poured out his heart. He loves the Colossians, and he can prove that he loves them because of the chains that he has endured for these three years. He will not give up the ministry that God had given him. God told Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel. And Paul says, I'm going to finish that work. Until my last breath, I'm going to pursue following what Jesus has given me to do. Isn't that a wonderful example for you and I today? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the example of Paul in his sacrificial living, not just sharing the truth of your word with others, but by showing his love, his willingness to surrender his freedom for the sake of sharing the gift of salvation with others. God, we thank you that you offer to every single man and woman in this earth, you offer forgiveness of their sin so that whoever will believe in you will not perish in hell, but they will have everlasting life. God, you will call them your own son or daughter, and that you will allow us to dwell with you in eternity forever and ever. God, we thank you for your love for us. And God, we know that you don't just save us for our own sake, but God, you save us to use us for the work of ministry. God, you have put people in our lives, in our family, in our neighborhoods, at our jobs that don't yet know you. And God, you want us to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And God, we sit here saying, Lord, you've asked the wrong guy. How could I represent you? How could I be an ambassador for Christ? And Lord, we recognize our weakness and we say, Lord, would you please fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? God, would you make us living testimonies of you? Would you help us to live graciously and salty so that people can see you in the way that we speak, in the way that we live, in the way that we love? God, we pray that you would give us the endurance that we need so that we can be vigilant prayer warriors. God, that we can boldly come before your throne of grace and say, Lord, I think this is what your will is. And God, I pray that you would accomplish it. 
Lord, we know you want us to pray. So God, would you give us a heart for prayer? Give us a focus to come before you, to lay out our own burdens before you, but to pray and intercede for others. And God, would you please do so much more than we can ask or think. Would you get all the glory? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.